Let's take our Bibles and open to 2 Kings this morning, 2 Kings chapter 1. Enjoy the music here at this church. I want to remind you of uh, tonight being a fifth Sunday. We have a inspiration. Pastor Brian will be bringing a message from Psalm 1, and uh, we'll be giving opportunities to sing some of your favorites. And there are refreshments. We can't have a inspiration without uh, being fed afterwards. So uh, if you haven't uh, seen the sign-up sheet on that, you might want to take a look at that at the welcome desk as well. We're studying the life of Elijah, and we come to the end of his life now. He's now older. He's seen God do some amazing things. Uh, the drought that was on the land in answer to his prayer, uh, fed by the ravens, by the brook Cherith, uh, supplied at Zarephath by the, the meal that never ran out or the oil, uh, raising the widow's son from the dead, seeing fire from heaven at uh, Mount Carmel, and uh, finally seeing the the punishment on Ahab and Jezebel, the wickedness of, uh, of that nation. Ahab's son now, Ahaziah, is on the throne, and he is just as wicked as his father was. We might expect God to look around and find someone else to use, another prophet. Um, after all, Elijah has fought all of these battles for the Lord. He's lived up to his name, Jehovah is my God. And we might think, well, it's okay now, Elijah, to sit back. You're, you're getting old now. Let someone else do it. But God wasn't finished with Elijah. What a great lesson for each of us. Uh, God is not finished with you until he takes you home. He has a purpose for you here. Um, Elijah has been faithful and obedient to God through his life, and he's faithful to the end. And so as we come to the final message on the life of Elijah, the title of the message is Finishing Faithfully. Three points that uh, I eventually hope to get to in this morning's message. Uh, the first, Elijah was faithful in the fight. He, no matter where he was in, in his, the, the span of his life, he was ready to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel, politically, uh, they were losing power. Moab, in, in verse 1 here, uh, we see Moab rebelling. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Israel had been ta taxing the company of, of Moab ever since um, the rule of Omri. Omri was uh, the father of Ahab and the grandfather of Ahaziah. But now as Ahaziah reaches the throne, the Moabites are saying, we're tired of sending 100,000 uh, ram skins and sheep skins to you every year. Uh, we're going to break free from your taxation, from your power. Ahaziah also spiritually was leading Israel into idolatry. Uh, it's said that Ahaziah rose to his father's throne but sunk to his father's sin. He was a son of a doomed house. Back in 1 Kings 21, 29, God said, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Remember when he did that? And he said, because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. So he's the son of a doomed house. In 1 Kings 22, 51 to 53, we learn how bad Ahaziah was. It says that he reigned two years in Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the way of his father Ahab and his mother Jezebel. He served and worshipped Baal. And it says that he provoked to anger the Lord God of Israel. Ahaziah had seen God's power, but he rejected God's authority. The drought, the famine, 
no impression on him. The fire from God at Mount Carmel, no impact on his life. Even the judgment, the, fi- the prophecy, and the final judgment on his parents' lives were ignored. It's tragic when the rebellious, unconverted heart does not learn about God's judgment from the sins of other people. The lost man sees God punish evil, and he says, you know, it's going to be different for me. I'll, I'll, I won't go over that line. I'll just be good enough. I'm not as bad as they were. Well, Israel was declining, both politically, both spiritually. Ahaziah proved his idolatrous heart in verse 2. It showed up in the way that he responded when he was concerned for his own life. And Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. The lattice was probably some decorative railing that uh, encircled the upper level of his palace. And it it broke. He fell through it, it says. Um, And it says that he was sick. He he was injured to the point where he didn't know if he was going to recover from this illness, whether he would live or whether he would die. And so instead of asking God what his life held, he went to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to find out if he was going to live. The Philistines had five capital cities. Ekron was the furthest to the north. The name Beelzebub comes from Baal, the god of the weather and the climate cycles that we've already looked at, and also uh, Zebub, the second half of that, uh, the lord of the flies or the fly god. The very pronunciation of the word sounds like a a winged insect. Flies show up in the hot summer and they're gone in the winter. And for a superstitious person who doesn't know God, doesn't believe in God, it looked like the flies had some kind of a, a, a foreknowledge of the weather patterns. And Kyle and Delich write, this explains the fact that they, they thought that it had a special power of prophecy attributed to Beelzebub. Those flies could, uh, have, must have been directed by the Lord of the flies who knew what the proper weather was for them to survive. Well, there are other sources in the Ugaritic writings that claim Beelzebub uh, could send away flies, and flies were thought to bring illness or diseases. And this may be why Ahaziah just naturally went to Beelzebub to find out uh, if he was going to survive or not. F.B. Meyer calls what Ahaziah did a deliberate rejection of Jehovah. This was a serious thing that proved what was in his heart. He didn't believe in God the God of Israel, he had more faith than the the God of the Philistines. And while Ahaziah was leading Israel away into idolatry, Elijah stands faithful to Jehovah. He was faithful in the fight. Verse 3, But the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Elijah is still listening to God and obeying his instructions. We've seen it again and again in the life of Elijah. The word of the Lord came, and he obeyed. Here in verse 3, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, and he 
obeyed. What a great lesson. Again, reiterate that lesson that whenever God tells you to do something, do it immediately. Arise and go. Do exactly what he says for you to do. I find the irony striking. Ahaziah sent out his messengers to find out from Beelzebub what would happen. He wanted to know the future. But God told Elijah to intercept them. God not only knew what they were going to do before they did it, but he, he knew the reasons, and he sent his prophet in to intercept them. He's a God who not only knows the future, he has sovereign control over everything that will take place. Elijah gave the messengers God's answer to deliver to Ahaziah in verse 4. This is a message from God. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord. Isn't it wonderful to have a message that God says? And we have it. It's recorded in the pages of God's word. We know what God is saying to man, what man needs to hear. Elijah delivered it clearly. Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. He gave it. It was clear. There's no misunderstanding that. And Elijah, it says, departed. He didn't give them time to debate. God's word is not up for debate. Nobody can question its validity. It stands. We simply give it as God gave it. He didn't give them time to find out who he was. The messenger is not important. It's the message that they needed to deliver. Look at what happened when the messengers returned to Ahaziah. He questioned them, verse 5. And when the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto them, Why are ye now turned back? Why are you back so soon? And they answered, verse 6. They answered, uh, they said unto him, There came a man to meet up to meet us, and said unto us, Go, turn again to the king that sent you, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? This is the second time that we've gone through this, okay? Therefore thou shalt not come down to, from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. They delivered the message just like Elijah told them to. The sin is mentioned three times in this chapter. We read it in verse 3, verse 6, verse 16. Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that you go to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Ahaziah, he's saying, this is not something that can be ignored. The confrontation of sin and his idolatry is worded in the form of a question. Is it not because... Is there not a God in Israel? Why is it put in a form of a question? It calls for a response. I need to think about this. I need to either be in agreement with it or make a confession that, that what you're saying is true, that there is a God. But why, if there is a God in Israel, why have I gone somewhere else? And after each explanation of the sin, you do not seek the Lord, the true God. You're going after the advice of a false God. After each explanation, the sentence of death was pronounced. Thou shalt surely die. It's the same message for every person who dies in their sin without accepting the gift of eternal life that's only through Jesus Christ. It's the warning that God gave Adam and Eve, Genesis 2.17, about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Same words that we find here. Two, two words that mean, or one word that means death, it's repeated in, in both of these texts. Muth, muth. Thou shalt surely die, or dying thou shalt die. 
It's, it's, it's implied as an intense message. Because of Adam's sin, the sentence of death is passed on to every person, to me, to you. Romans 5.12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And we look into the scriptures and we know we will surely die. We deserve that. But God offered eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, who died in your place. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ahaziah knew who this messenger was, in verses 7 and 8. He said unto them, What manner of man was he that came up to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was a hairy man, and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It's Elijah the Tishbite. No mistaking him. They gave a description of what he looked like. He was a hairy man. Not, not Elijah, you would think that as you read through that, but, but what he was wearing, his clothes were hairy, the skins of those animals. That's why there's a comparison with John the Baptist. In our Bible reading just recently, and we were in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 17, and John the Baptist would go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So he was a hairy man. He was girt with a girdle of leather, particular dress of the prophets. Others were adorned or dressed in fine linen. It was expensive. God's men were more interested in speaking the truth than in impressing other people by what they wore. His message was from the Lord. Let's make sure that we don't change the message. Don't water it down so people aren't offended about sin and judgment and eternal punishment. Those are not nice concepts to bring up in a conversation. Here he, he gave it. It was from the Lord. It was plain. It was easily to, for them to understand. We need to be direct in our witness. It was fulfilled. If you look down to chapter 1, verse 17, so he died, same word, muth, so he died according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken. Ahaziah wanted to get rid of Elijah when his messengers came back. He attempted to arrest him. We read about that in verses 9 through 15. He sent 50 soldiers with the captain. In verse 9, he spake unto them, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. Elijah was on a hill, an elevated place, probably uh, one of the peaks of Mount Carmel. The words, Thou man of God, was probably given in sarcasm. O man of God, the king hath said. And in the attempt to arrest, the words show us that at the very heart of the issue is who has the authority in Israel? Thou man of God, is it God or is it the king? The king wants you to come. He's making all the commandments. And Elijah answered, verse 10, If I be a man of God, if that's true, and it is, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. It's a serious thing. Is there a God in Israel? That's why God is speaking this way. Second captain with his 50 soldiers came in verse 11. O man of God, thus hath the king said, come down quickly. Now he adds that word quickly. 
And Elijah answered, verse 12, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. The third captain showed up. He did what we would do. <laughs> verse 13, The captain of the third and his fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, he recognizes that he is. I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 thy servants be precious in thy sight. He didn't even ask Elijah to come down and go with them. Verse 15, and the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, go down with him, be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. Here is Elijah at the end of his ministry, earthly ministry. He's still calling down fire from heaven. Why did he do it the first time? To prove that God is who he says he is. Same reason here. Elijah was faithful in the fight. There's never a time this side of heaven when you'll no longer find that you have people that are opposing the gospel and the work of God in your life. Back in the 18th century, these words were written to a hymn. We sing it today, My Soul Beyond Thy Guard. Ne'er think the victory won. It's an the third stanza of that hymn. Ne'er think the victory won, nor once at ease sit down. The arduous work will not be done till thou hast got the crown. We have a battle that we're in. Let's be like Elijah. Let's remain faithful in the fight. Secondly, Elijah was faithful in leaving a legacy. When I say he left a legacy, I don't mean that he left some kind of a monument for people to come by and remember how great of a man he was, all the achievements that, he, that took place through his, through his life. But I mean he left a ministry that was continuing. He was, he was impacting other lives. He poured his life into others. He had a ministry to train another generation of prophets. They're referred to as the sons of the prophets. There were three different places where they met and were trained. One at Bethel in verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. One at Jericho, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And one in Jordan, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I'm reminded of what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2. The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. When you think about your life, are you impacting anyone else for the glory of God? Are you helping them know the scriptures better? Are you sharing verses with them? Are you inviting them to church? Are you encouraging them to know the scriptures? Giving them a good commentary to understand a book that they're reading through? Elijah poured his life into others. Elijah also left the ministry in the hands of Elisha. Let's go turn back to 1 Kings chapter 19. There's a small section here that we skipped. Verses 19 through 21 of 1 Kings 19. He departed thence. Elijah had just come from Mount Sinai where he said, I'm the only one that's standing for you. And God said, no, I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed to Baal. You're not alone in this battle. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing the, with 12 yoke of oxen before him. He was busy when Elijah found him. God is not looking for lazy people to serve him, those who haphazardly go through life. He's looking for people that are busy. And he with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. 
And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. No more plowing of this field. I'm burning the bridges. I'm following Elijah now. His call, verse 19, Elijah cast his mantle upon Elisha. Elisha's commitment, he followed Elijah. He sacrificed the oxen, verse 21, and he went after Elijah and ministered unto him. I'm here to be a servant. I'm here to learn from you. His commitment was well known. It was observed. It was remembered. In, in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and his servants knew that Elisha, was the, the son of Shaphat, was the one who poured water on the hands of Elijah. People knew about his service to Elijah. He was faithful in following. 2 Kings 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As, thy, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went to Bethel. And in every case, he's saying, I'm going to stay with you. He, Elijah knew that he was going to be taken. Elisha knew that Elijah was going to be taken. Even the, the, in the school of the prophets, they knew that Elijah would be taken. In chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, they say that. Don't you know that your master is going to be taken from you? Elisha was wise in, answering, in asking for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And when you go through the study of Elisha, which I trust we'll do next, You'll see twice as many miracles that God did through Elisha than he did in Elijah's life. He was making the request of the firstborn son. He desired to be the rightful successor to the ministry of Elijah. His ministry, Elisha's ministry is symbolized in that mantle. Chapter 2, verse 13, he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell. Elisha's ministry was verbalized in a request. He took the mantle, he smote the water, and he said in verse 14, where is the Lord God of Elijah? F.B. Meyer has a great commentary on this, and he makes a personal application, which I, I, I find convicting. Though Elijah goes, Elijah's God remains. Catch up the mantle of the departed. Emulate their lives. Seek their spirit Smite the bitter waves of difficulty and unwavering faith, and you will find that the Lord God of Elijah will do as much for you as for the saints who have been swept to their reward and are now mingling with the great cloud of witnesses that are watching your conflicts, your triumphs, and your joys. Have you ever stood at the coffin of a loved one, a dear saint of God, and say, Lord, let his mantle fall on me? God has not changed. And we must just come to God and say, where is the Lord? Where is the God of Elijah? Elisha's ministry was recognized in a miracle in verse 15, when the sons of the prophets, which, saw to, uh, which were to view at Jericho, saw him. They said, the spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. 
They saw in verse 14, the waters of the Jordan separate. In verse 15, they give this testimony. That was Elijah's legacy. An ongoing ministry in the lives of others. When you're gone from this life to the next, what will your legacy be? A lot of people are investing in things that they think will be are important. I want to leave my kids with a good bank account so that they can bury me and, and remember me, how good I was to them. Are you leaving a house or a family? Are you leaving a plaque or a person? Let's leave a legacy, a lasting legacy of faith. Third, Elijah was faithful in his departure. We've run out of time today. In verse 11 of chapter 2, it says, And it came to pass as they still went on and talked, Elijah and Elisha walking together, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, came in between them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. All the way through this, Elijah knew God was, God was coming for him that day. And he was ready to go. Are you? He says, and still they went on and talked. They, they continued communicating. Stay busy for Christ. Don't say, well, you know, this is, I, I'm, I'm gone. I, I've, I've finished what God has given me to do, and I'll just wait here until he takes me home to heaven. No, continue walking. Continue having an influence on other people. Stay busy for Christ. He knew he'd be taken, and yet he continued to go on and talk. If you were to be taken to heaven today, would there be anything left unsettled in your life? Any apologies never made? Any witness never given? Any sin unconfessed? Be ready to go like Elijah. Secondly, Elijah was taken up into heaven. Now, you may, might not be transported by the chariot of fire, but if you know Christ, your future is as certain as Elijah's. 2 Corinthians 5.8, For we are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wonderful Welsh preacher, Christmas Evans, when dying, waved his hands to those standing around him and looked up and said, Drive on, the chariots of God are 20,000. Right. <laughs> I don't know how many chariots there are. But we can be confident that God will take us home. Elijah was denied before. Do you ever think of that? He said, Lord, take my life. I, I don't want to live anymore. Jezebel's out to get me. Just go ahead and take my life. Back in chapter 19 and verse 4 of 1 Kings. F.B. Meyer writes, When your next request is denied, reflect that it may be because God is preparing something for you as much better than your request as the translation of Elijah was better than the, his petition for himself. God knows best. How we start matters. How we run is important. But God is looking for those who will finish faithfully. Revelation 2.10 Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. 
Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Be faithful in the fight. Be faithful in passing on a legacy to people. Be faithful in your departure. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, I'd ask today that through these different verses as we've studied the life of Elijah and have seen his final crowning day when he's welcomed home to glory, that we would see his faithfulness and we would say that's the way I want to be. I want to be faithful in, in the battle that, that I'm in. I want to be faithful in passing along the, the knowledge of Christ to others. I want to be faithful unto death. Lord, help us today to be faithful to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.